We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Seth Clark with a question for the mailbag. What is your confidence level of Gerby Lambert, and do you believe all the Harvard buzz, Ryan? Well, Seth, I actually put this in my mailbag this week as someone asked about confidence levels and some of the uncommitted players Notre Dame is still waiting on in the 2024 class. I may Gerby have texted Lambert. you a confidence level on uh, yes. Gerby Lambert the other day. <laughs> and I gave you the exact same answer. I'm, I'm, yeah. about an eight, I'm about an eight right now, Seth. I'm about an eight right now. I think that Notre Dame is in the driver's seat for Gerby Lambert's. I Look, the Harvard stuff is it's fun. It's interesting. I ultimately don't think that Har- Harvard's going to be the decision over offers from Notre Dame and Ohio State and like that. Like, I just don't, don't buy that, right? Like, I just don't really buy that. I think Notre Dame's in the driver's seat, though. I think that this is Notre Dame's to win. You know, obviously there's closing out that needs to do. And, you know, as we always talk about, the down the stretch of recruitment is very important. But I think that Notre Dame has a very good chance to close on one of the more talented offensive tackles in the 2024 class. Of course, we're talking about Catholic Memorial out there in West Roxbury, Massachusetts, teammate of Bubakar Traore. I, I think Notre Dame's in a great position for Derby. I think it's late June, getting into July, and people need stuff to write about. Yes. That's pretty much what I think is yeah. happening. So, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. John A1 with the Super Chat. Thank you very, very much, John. Is there a past player that would have been more successful in a different position. Any players you would have liked to see play a different position, Brian? Well, I, I think looking back, I would have loved to have seen CJ Procise get moved to offense right away. I, I would be curious to see what his career 
would have looked like, you know, would he have maybe had a more successful NFL career if they would have moved him to running back as a sophomore instead yeah. of as a senior? You know, would he would he have been in a better position to stick in the NFL if that were the case? You know, so so that's that's a guy that kind of pops out in my head. I've always thought that Jerry Tillery could have been a really good offensive tackle. I really do. I think he was a better offensive lineman than a defensive lineman. I, I think, especially working with Harry Heastan in his career. Yeah. If he would have taken the coaching, I think he was a guy that could have been really, really good. So uh, he he's one that pops in my head. You know, here's another one. I thought about this the other day, and it's not so much a – it's kind of a different position. But you know how they moved Carlo Holiday to receiver by the end of his career? Uh, one that I would have really liked to have seen – and I tweeted about this the other night. I was watching a game from 02, and it was before Carlisle got hurt. I would have loved to have seen Carlisle Halliday playing quarterback under Lou Holtz, mm. like getting to run that that Tony sure. Rice offense. Oh, man, he'd have been fun to watch. Now, I know technically he wasn't. You know, he ended up – he did play some quarterback before moving to receiver, but that would have been one that would have been really, really fun to watch. Uh, what would have been there, Vince? I'm trying to think of some others. I, I couldn't really, I, know. I can't really think of a lot of others where, gee, I wish this guy would have played another position because I think most guys were ended up being pretty good at the, you know, who, you know, who um, he could, I didn't want to see him in another position because they had the need there. Kavari Russell was a really good running back in high school. And they originally recruited him to play running back. And if they were better off a corner, you know, kind of thinking about some of those years, uh, you know, Carvari was a freshman in 2013, right? And, or excuse me, 2012. And I'm kind of thinking about that, that 2013 backfield, right? Where, where Cam McDaniel's your leading rusher and, and I love Cam, but you know, could you imagine if they'd have had Kavari Russell as a sophomore on that team, what that would have looked like? That'd have been, uh, that'd have been really fun to watch too, Vince. That'd have been I'm, fun. I'm to trying watch. to think, and I, Oh man, I, I can't think of anybody that I would really move around per se. <sighs> yeah, that that that's a tough one for me. I I can't really think of a good one where I would I would move a guy from one spot to the other and that they would be have more success than they already did. Uh, so that is a very interesting one uh, and a really good question, John. Uh, I really appreciate that very much. So. But yeah, there's nobody that comes to mind that I would that I would do that to, uh, and then think that they would have more success than they did. You know what I mean? So, uh, Jerron Jones is playing offensive line, uh, I believe. Yeah. So I think that's an interesting one because I've but seen I would, him play. But he was at really Bay. good at. But he was really right. good at the defensive line. That's the right. tough one, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. I don't know that moving would have benefited his career per se. Yeah. But that doesn't happen, obviously, all the time. So you know. Yeah, somebody yeah. said, what about Chinin to Manduke weight receiver? But they really needed him as safety. Yeah, he was a really you know? good safety. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, if I could if I could move a guy to another school, I would Tommy Zibikowski would have been a really fun option quarterback in Navy. Oh, See, he absolutely. actually played that in high school, yeah. if you remember correctly. He mm-hmm. was technically oh, recruited as a quarterback. And I'm like, yeah, right. That guy ain't playing quarterback. Tommy Zibikowski playing in that Navy triple option would have been fun to watch man he would have trucked some dudes i love the ball in his hands i mean he wasn't yeah. he wasn't a great safety right yeah. but he was great I get with a the ball lot of in trouble his hands. for saying that i, I get mean, a lot of people mad at me dude. for saying it. and he because he he had, he was a really good tackler he was not very good in coverage right and he somebody asked me and I, I don't remember if this was asked in the show or if this is something somebody asked me uh on the board was this was this because i believe it was asked of me like today it might have been somebody sent me a private message, but the question is, is you know, where would you play him in today's game? And I said, in today's era, he'd be a dude as a rover. Yep, absolutely. Like, and that, he would be yep. a dude as a rover right yep. now because he could play downhill. And he's and now all of a sudden his athleticism uh, or his coverage ability tracks really well at that position because he now has help over top as opposed to being mm-hmm. the help. Yes. And he could be more aggressive. The problem with Tommy is he wanted to be so aggressive. He wanted to come down and crush people. Right, and so he was constantly getting beat on post on on play actions because he was too aggressive. And if you'd have played him at Rover in today's era, oh my gosh, then he could have been more aggressive. Yeah, and and not get penalized for that. That's where Tommy would have been really fun to watch because he was already fun to watch. I mean, he was. A heck oh of my a gosh, player. yes, absolutely. But I, I, you think if they would have 
put a little bit more weight on him that he maybe could have played like a will. No, you know I, I mean? don't think he had the body for that. Okay. No, I think he would have slowed down if you okay. played him there. I think he'd have slowed down. I think he wouldn't have been able to be a return guy anymore. No, yeah. no, but I he was, was and he was defense. really good return guy. Yeah. Really good return guy. Right. So that that have been fun to watch, guys. That have been really fun to watch. But uh, yeah, th- 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 those are good questions, John. I enjoy questions like that, man. Those those are fun. Here's one I'm going to ask you guys. Levi Perez asks, "It's Michigan versus USC. Oh. Who are you rooting for?" I already know the rooting, answer for it. Rooting for, I'm rooting for a tie. A tie. A okay. tie. Can't no, can't have on. ties. No. Can't have ties. You got to pick one. Who are you no. rooting for to win? Not rooting for anyone. Not rooting for anyone. <sighs> all right. So, <laughs> I. All right. So you need one of those two teams to win to help Notre Dame to vault Notre Dame in the playoff. Who so would you, you rather be one. the team that has to win to help Notre Dame? Let's say Notre Dame played both. The winner of that game, the team that you pick is the team that would help Notre Dame the most. Who do you have to? Who do you, I I go USC. I've said this before. I don't 100%. hate USC. I dislike USC as a rival, but I don't hate. I've never hated USC. Absolutely. Partly because Vince, you and I grew up in an era where Notre Dame dominated. Like Ryan's a little younger, right? So like Ryan grew up in an era where Notre Dame got dominated by USC. You and I grew up in an era where Notre Dame dominated USC. Yeah, I literally had a T-shirt that said "Decade of Dominance" <laughs> on it, and it had all the scores yeah. of the last ten Notre Dame USC games. It was like it was like Ohio State Michigan prior to twenty twenty one. I love that T-shirt. I, I wish mean, I still it, had it. it. It really was. I'm, I'm going to look because I, I don't think Lou lost to USC until like his last year, second to last year. It's the only time he ever lost to USC. I mean, they absolutely dominated that series. Yeah. So from 1983 to 1993. Yeah, I think that's, that's uh, what I have to yeah, shirt. So three, yeah. four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven wins. Mm-hmm. Then they tied in 94, and then Notre Dame beat them again in 95. So they had 12 wins in 13 years, and then USC uh, won in 96, 97, 98. And then Notre Dame won again in 99, 2000, 2001. And then, of course, USC went on their roll where they won eight in a row. And since then, Notre Dame's eight and four against USC. So, like, for most of my lifetime, outside of that one eight-year stretch with Pete, Notre Dame has dominated USC. And they're just not like, – they're not unlikable for me. They're just – they're just They're not, annoying, but they're not They're unlikable. annoying, but their fans are uh, can, can, can be a little annoying, sure. but they're just typical California fans. Exactly. You know? Absolutely Michigan, correct. I despise everything about Michigan football. I do. Yep. I just I despise their fans. I despise yep. their fake tradition. Uh, I despise their anti-Catholic bigotry. And I'm not even Catholic that they had that kept Notre Dame <laughs> out of the Big Ten. You know, there's just so many things about, about Michigan that I dislike. And they were a tough out for Notre Dame. Like like Lou, I believe Lou, uh, his record against Michigan was pretty good. Uh but it was always tough, right? I mean, it was always it was always a tough out. I'm actually going to go look and see what his record was against Michigan here, real quick. So let me let me find that one. Just give me a second, folks. So Notre Dame during the Lou Holtz tenure was let's see, so 85, 86. So Lou's first year was 86. So then he lost that one. Then they won four in a row, lost in 91, tied in 92, won in 93, uh, lost in 94. So what was Lou's last year at Notre Dame? Was it night? I was. It was ninety six, right? Lou Holtz's last year was ninety six. Yes, that sounds right. So and then what? Davy's first year, yeah. So ninety six. So Lou Holtz went five and five three and one against Michigan. But here were the wins. So you you won convincingly in twenty seven. Hold on a second. Which one is Notre Dame? Okay, so Notre Dame is the gold one. So I was correct. So Notre Dame won 26 to 7 and 87. But then it was 19 to 17 and 88, 24 to 19, 28 to 24, 27 to 23. And then the losses to Michigan were 24 to 23, 24 to 14, 26 to 24, and then you had a 17 17 tie. So they were always battles, you know. And so so man, I hate that team. Really See, hate that you, team. You can tie. You can tie. You, you could tie. then. You can't now. That's right, oh, they actually wised yeah. up on that one. I hate yeah. ties. Ties are like I, the worst. It's one they of the should play the game in Alaska, like... and then the bus will break down, and they won't won't be able to come back, but they won't die because they'll still be in civilization. But they'll okay. stay in Alaska. It's a very interesting All deal right. there. I, there's nothing I enjoy more than uh, an upset Michigan fan. 
right? Yep. I would love to watch them lose. I, I More than I want USC to win, I want Michigan to lose because I don't deal with a whole lot of USC fans on a regular right. basis. Michigan and when fans I've been are out surrounded. To, yeah, and when I've been out to USC, I've never had a fan talk trash in, in, in any other form than just good lightheartedness. Yeah, right. Like, which I enjoy. That's yeah. fun. I mean, that's fun to do. That's what sports are about. Yeah. I mean, I have no problem with that. Yeah. I think I've met one good Michigan fan in my life, and it's Antoine Jackson, the guy that's in our chat. That's a, like it. Like, I don't, I can't think that I've ever, I think he's the first time I ever, like, wow, a Michigan. And I haven't seen him in a while. Like, wow, Michigan fan that's actually normal and honest and objective and smart. And, you know, and that's, that's why what the people that, you know, people that cover them are very fitting for that fan base, if y'all. Y'all know what I'm talking about on that one. <laughs> so we did have a super chat here, guys, from Beef Eater. Oh, nice. Gents, uh, I'm cooked and I have nothing of substance for the mailbag. I just want to see if anyone has any cool plans for the 4th of July. Please be careful. I be nation. Do not Jason Pierre Paul yourself. Yeah, you don't want to come home looking yeah, like that would this be bad. or whatever. That would be bad. Or whatever. You know, I've I've never been a huge fireworks guy. Me neither. I, I, I like, like, when I'd go to a baseball game, we go to Tides games, and they would have, like, the big fireworks shows or when we were kids. Sure. That, that was cool. Like, me, like, I've just never been, like, a, like, uh, Fire- okay, whatever. And fireworks my wife, are ridiculously expensive. Oh, yeah. And my, if I wanted to do fireworks now, Angela would be so mad at me because she's a former firefighter. If you guys, oh, remember. of course, yeah, right. And she was a, for a while. She was also a public safety officer uh, in the Thornton Fire Department out in Colorado, and she would give me the whole. Do you know how many times we've had to, you know, answer calls because of fire? And I'm like, okay, no fireworks, babe. Like I don't know why you're coming at me. I didn't even ask you for fireworks. We would just drive by a fireworks place, and she start going off at me about fire. I'm like, I. You've never even heard me bring up fireworks in our life. Why are you going at me this way? So she gets <laughs> she gets real fired up about those. Uh, but the only fireworks I'll have on Fourth of July events, I probably I'm going to spend a little time at the range. So there it'll be some little pew pew actions about the only fireworks you're going to see from me, man. So I just uh, I look at fireworks like the ones that you do at your house, right? Yeah. I look at those as literally setting your money on fire. Like yeah, that's and that's much. me being me. But like yeah. I would much rather spend my money elsewhere than. Yeah lighting stuff on fire like that doesn't do anything for you me. guys do anything though i mean i'll be i'll be cooking grilling just angela hanging out we'll, grilling we'll be on vacation it. so we'll That's be out right. of town and we'll be at a beach and they're gonna have a big fireworks display monday night i don't know why not on tuesday but monday night is the fireworks display so we'll go sit on the beach and watch fireworks and have some fun yeah. so. fourth fourth's my dad's birthday so we'll probably be okay. doing something for him so that'd be wow. nice that's is yeah, that yeah. good or bad like that his birthday's on the fourth of july probably should ask him Indi- that question indifferent yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. It's just always been that way for you. It's. That's... I mean, his birthday is more important than America, apparently. So, like. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. great. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'd be having like themed birthdays every year, man. Like my birthday's the same as America's. You know what I mean? Like more important. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I dated a girl one time whose birthday is on was on Christmas. That had to be the worst. Well, mine's four days after Christmas, my friend. Oh. It's not good. I no. I don't even like it being in the same neighborhood. No. The only good thing is I have never worked on my birthday. So okay, like that's yeah. the only well, I take that back. I've done like Notre Dame football on but my that's birthday. That's not work. That, right. Come that's, on, man. that's what I'm saying. It's like, eh. But like the other job, I've never worked because I'm always off because it's always Christmas break. Yeah. So I've never been to school or working. And so that's nice. But when you like the advice to the people out there, if you have a young person in your life who has a birthday around Christmas. Unless you're doubling the money that you're giving them, don't ever write on a card, Merry Christmas and Happy Birthday. Like, that's not cool. Like, you just got out of a present is what you did. That's messed up. It happened a lot, right? Or And don't put the present under the tree that says, this is your birthday present. Don't open it until your birthday. Because then you got to stare at it for four additional days. It's not cool to like a seven-year-old, man. So there's my public service announcement for the day. Guys, this is a really interesting question from, from Tony. Name a Notre Dame game in the past 20 years that altered the course of the program, good or bad. That is a that is a really interesting one. I hope it's Stanford last year. That's what I hope. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, the hmm. one I can think of. So 20 years goes back to basically 02, right? Okay. I think the big one for me would be 
a USC 05. That's what I was going to say. Because I feel like that game, Notre Dame was kind of ascending, and that game was like the peak, uh, the the true peak of the Charlie Weiss era. Mm-hmm. Like yep. it never, it was never better than that, went, in my it, opinion. Yeah. It went like this for a couple years. Sure, then, you know what I mean yeah. in 07. But like in like in 2006, they were not nearly as good of a team in 06 as they were in 2005. In my opinion, they they yeah. just weren't. Yeah, uh, they, they you know in in my view, and so to me, I feel like you win that game, and that that you could even really mm-hmm. say that just a couple plays that just really changed the the outcome of what that team could have been. Yep, and and you know because you think of like what kind of recruiting boost would they have gotten if they had got if they had beat that USC juggernaut. Is that- because I mean, that USC team was, yeah, like they were all world, man. Well, they you were, know, they were back to back champs. I mean, they were the yeah. defending champs. I mean, they were, they were, you know, they had won the title in 04. Mm-hmm. Remember, they had just absolutely dominated, absolutely dominated Oklahoma in the bowl game the year before. They had won a bunch of games in a row. Uh, you know, that team, that team was really good. I mean, really good. They hadn't lost guys since September of 2003. Uh, when when you went into that game, and so uh, you know that game could have done a lot. I'm trying to think of some others. That's that, the one that stood out to me. And yeah, it, it's not close because some of the other games they don't necessarily mark the tot like a, a turning point or a, a real marker within that yeah. head coach's. I, I got tenure. one. Okay. I got one. You remember when Jack Swarbrick was hired in 08, and he's like after the 08 season, and he was like, he's going to give Charlie one more year. And I remember coming into that 09 season thinking this team has a chance to be really good. You had Jimmy Clausen, you had Kyle Rudolph, you had Floyd, Golden Tate. There was a man tie was part of that really good freshman class. You were coming off a year. Your the 08 class recruiting class was ranked number three in the country. You signed a bunch of dudes, and I remember coming out against a Colorado, a Nevada team that everybody thought was going to be really good, and they smoked them, 35 to nothing. I had some concerns about that game because of Tenuta, but I often wonder what happens with that team if they beat Michigan in week two. They should have beat Michigan in week two if they don't allow Tate Forcier because they went off and rattled off the next three wins. Then they lost USC by a touchdown and then won two more. So they'd have been sitting there, guys. If they'd have beaten Michigan that game, they'd have been sitting there at seven and one. Do they fold down the stretch against Navy and Pitt and UConn and Stanford? Guys, they lost those games. By two points, five points, three points, and double overtime and a touchdown. Like, would that have been the game for that 09 team, like we saw in the 2012 season? Because that's the other one. I often wonder, does Brian Kelly ever get to where he got to if he doesn't beat Stanford in 2012? That's, that's my only other game. That was is, the one I was, yeah. Okay. So I'll let you explain that one, Vince. But I wonder if, like, the 09 game against Michigan, would that have been that catalyst that that 09 team needed to give them the confidence to go on a run? And then, if they go on that run and let's say they go 10 and two, do they still fire Charlie Weiss? I don't believe they do. I think they keep Charlie Weiss and then Brian Kelly's not at Notre Dame. Like, and he we go someplace else. We're a bad thing. You know, was he that, was, was definitely leaving Cincinnati. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So was- those are, those are all like very interesting ones, Vince. The 12, the 2012 game against Stanford, I'll let you kind of break down that one a little bit. Well, I just remember <clears throat> just because of the way that season was going, that, that game and the way the game went, right? It was in the mon- it was in the, the rainstorm and all of that. And just the way the game was that last second win, the goal line stand, man. Like I was absolutely riveted. You bullied the team and bullying yes. you for years. Abs- yeah. And they couldn't get that Stanford monkey off their back, for lack of a better term, right? And this was their opportunity. So when they won that game, and it was in the middle of the season, it was an October game, because that's when they played Stanford that year, right? So it was the middle of the season. It was one of the ones that I didn't go to. And I remember watching it at McDonald's. I was there with my family. My, all the kids were obviously much younger then. We were at McDonald's in the play place. And I like jerry-rigged the TV so I could watch the game. And I was standing there watching the goal line stand. And all of a sudden, when that game was over, I was just like, oh, they could go undefeated. Like this, this team is actually really, really good. They got this Stanford monkey off their back. This team could be really, really good is is my thought process after that game. I wasn't sure about that team going into that game. 
But after that game, because of everything that Stanford meant at that time, right? It's not the Stanford of now, the Stanford of back then. They couldn't beat them. And they just got punched in the mouth by Stanford over and over again. They got that monkey off their back. And it was like, okay, I believe in this team now. Like that was the thought process for me. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they go undefeated. And then a lot of people are saying the 2012 National Championship game. I could see that as well. But that Stanford game, man, was the pivotal part of that season for me. They don't beat Stanford. They don't beat Oklahoma. Right. Oh, and then absolutely. you wonder, okay, because here's here's what I'm here's where I'm going with this, Vince, and and I and I think you and I are on the same page on this. If they don't beat Stanford, I don't know that that team is as good the rest of the way. Absolutely. If you remember, they had a very ugly win over Purdue, very ugly win over Michigan. Michigan kind of choked that game away a little bit. They blew out Miami, great win. Do they go out the next week if they lose to Stanford without Everett and beat BYU? They only won by three without yeah. Everett. Do they then go on a road and beat Oklahoma? Do they then have the confidence to come back and beat Pitt in triple overtime, a game they were down big early? Like uh, Go on and on and on and on, right? Yeah. So then the Bama game never happens. And then when we get to 2016 and Brian Kelly goes four and eight, he's fired. He's go gone because yeah, you don't have that 12 and 0 run on, yeah. on his resume to protect him mm-hmm. and give him that opportunity. Here's another one. Cincinnati 2021. Here's why. As much as I dislike Brian Kelly and think that he's only out for Brian Kelly, there's no way in heck, in my opinion, that Brian Kelly walks away from a playoff team in 2021. No way. They'd have been 12 and 0. They'd have been a playoff team. To me, there's no way he walks away from that. And there's no way LSU is going to wait till after the college football playoff to hire their head coach. No Mm -hmm. way. Nor would he have done the whole, I'm going to take the job, but still coach Notre Dame thing. I just don't think it happens. And so then you wonder, is that a turning point negatively or positively? We're going to find out. Yeah. We're going to find out. I think it's going to be a positive because I think Marcus Freeman is going to be successful. But then, because here's, I don't think Marcus Freeman stays in 2022 as the D coordinator. I I just don't, I I won't share why, but I just, I don't think he stays at, at Notre Dame the next year. So then it's like, okay, well then he's not your next head coach. Right, And so if Marcus Freeman's going to do the things that, that, that I believe you and I still believe he's going to do, Vince, mm-hmm. then that that's one of those ones where you, you say, hey, look, here's another one. And here, here's the last one that I didn't even think about that somebody brought up. Clemson 2015. People have argued that if Notre Dame beats Clemson that day, they're the team that then goes on the run in 15. And I've said this before too, Vince. I think if that 2015 team got into the college football playoff, I think they could have won it all. I do. I, I think they I think they could have beat that Bama team. I think that they could have, you know, look, who 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 did uh, Clemson play at Oklahoma that year, I believe, in 2015. Uh let me let me look it up. 2015 college football playoff. Let me see here. Uh, so that year. Uh, it'd be actually, I always hate that. They always go like 20 I the know. year after it's, this should be the season that you play the Correct. game. So it, Notre Dame beats Clemson. Even if they beat Stanford, I think they're still in, but let's, cause I think that, you know, let's say they beat Stanford, they run the table. Cause I think, they, I think if they had beat Clemson, you'd have the same impact the rest of the way. Like they saw, like we had against Stanford in 2012, they run the table. They beat in Stanford at the end. Then they play Oklahoma in the first round. I think they beat that Oklahoma team. It's a good Oklahoma team. I think they beat that Oklahoma team. And I think that Alabama team for Notre Dame was beatable because the one that was Notre Dame was the one team that Bama would have played that year that they would have said, we don't have the better athletes. They don't. And I think that would have been a really interesting year. And then let's say Brian Kelly just gets to the title game and they lose by field goal to Bama. What does that do? For the program moving forward, do they still have the collapse the next year? Does Brian Kelly get that taste of a championship and realize he has to make changes? And is that the thing that spurs him to fire Brian Van Gorder and do all those things? We don't know, but I often wonder what would have been the the ramifications had they won that game. Like that's another one, but I think the 2021 Cincinnati one is big, and I loved Ryan's point about Stanford 2022. Yeah. Like, because if Notre Dame goes on a run the this jury's year, still out, right? I mean, that's because yeah. we don't know. Yeah. Let's say they go on a run eleven and one this year. You're going to look back and be like, since that Stanford loss, this team has gone, you know, seventeen and two, 
something like that, right? I mean, that would be like kind of their record if they go 11 and one this year. Was that the game that kind of was the the wake up call for not the wake up call, but the moment where Marcus Freeman kind of said, okay, I've learned my lessons. Now it's time to roll. It, mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting to, yeah. Yep. Going to be very interesting. All right, let's get to some more events. We have so many dang questions to get here. <laughs> no, <I don't> <laughs> From Jordan Schreiber, 2024, who wins QB1? Steve Angeli, Kenny Minchie, CJ Carr, or a transfer? Man, it is way too early to answer that question. Yeah. I mean, I've seen those kids combine to throw zero career college passes. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's way too early for that. I would say all four of those are about equal options right now. Close to equal. I'd say probably CJ Carr starting and probably be at the bottom of that list, but not by a ton. I mean, it's way too early for that. For me, it's... it's Yeah, know. I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier when we were talking about the, the, the backups this year, right? And what that was going to look like for next year and all of that. It's a year-long job interview. You know, as to what kind of transfer they're going to bring in, because I, I do think they still bring in a transfer. I do, just from a depth standpoint, I think they're going to bring in a transfer. So, are they looking for somebody to start, or are they looking for somebody for depth? I think that's those are two different guys, right? And how confident, like, what kind of senior year does CJ Carr have? You know, what, does he take the necessary steps forward? I think he does, but we don't know the answer to that. And so, so what does he look like senior year? And then what does Steve and Kenny do as backups? How did they approach their job every single day from now until December? You know, it's going to be a day-to-day, everyday job interview for those two. And again, CJ Carr, what does he look like in the spring? Is he going to look like, uh, you know, an early enrollee freshman who's drinking out of a fire hose? Maybe, probably, right? Does that give you the confidence to say like, yeah, he's going to be our starter in the fall, you know? So there's just so many unanswered questions about all four of these guys, transfer included, as to what that's going to look like this time next year. That's that's so far away, man. Hopefully we're all celebrating a national championship and that's the least of our worries. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, Vince. Here's a, here's a good one from John A1. Oh, I love the ones from John A1. Last year, Notre Dame had veteran guards and young tackles. This year, it's the opposite. With Notre Dame being a run-strength team, how hard is it to add complexity to blocking schemes with young guards versus young tackles? I will say this. It's easier in the 23 scenario. And, uh, by the way, Ryan's having some internet issues. That's why he's not in the show anymore. Uh, just for people who, who want to think there's another reason behind it. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, he's having some internet connection issues, which was causing his, him to pop a little bit. So he's oh, okay. trying to get that figured out. But anyway, gotcha. uh, to me, Vince, it's easier if you have young guards to still have some complexity in the run scheme than it is to have when you have young tackles. Because when you have young tackles, a lot of times they're on their, they're on an island by themselves, right? Whereas when you have young guards, and I and I wrote a, a little bit about this in the breakouts article I had today about Billy Shrouth and the fact that he's playing between Zeke Carell and Joe Wald is huge for him because he's got people communicating with him. He doesn't necessarily have to do the communicating; they're communicating right. to him what to do. You know, hey, look, I'm I've got this call because you know, like you'll if you're going to run a, like a buck sweep type of concept, a buck sweep is not. Tackle blocks down, guard pulls every time. It's going to depend on where the alignment is. If you're playing an odd front, it's going to be the you know it's going to be the guard that pulls. If you're you know in that situation, a lot of times if you're if you're playing uh, against certain actually if 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 you're playing against an odd front and you've got a tight end there, the tackle may you may get them to both pull. If you've got a tight end there, then or no tight end there, then the tackle's got to got to reach block, and yeah, you know, I mean, there's all types of different things you look at. You may check out of it, whatever. But the thing I'm thinking of is if there's a three technique, right? Tackle's going to block down, guard's going to pull, right? But what if it's a one technique? Okay, now you've got to block down. Now the center's got to pull, right? And he's going to be blocking that. Well, now you've got if it's a three technique and you're the left guard, Joe Walt's telling you, giving you the call. If it's a one technique or a shade. Zeke Carell's telling you the call now, and they're both telling you what to do in those situations. You don't have to necessarily know it as much. Whereas right. a tackle has to just know he's got to be there. And, you know, and, and that's where it comes down to. And I will also say just to compound on that, that 
also with guard play, it's a lot of double teaming. Yeah. You know, from a communication standpoint, I agree with you 100%. But from a physical standpoint, you're doing a lot of double teaming either with the tackle or with the guard. When you're at tackle, yes, there's some double teaming involved, but a lot of times you're left out on an island. And so that can be a little bit tougher, right? I think I just think a guard is more protected um, in, in that realm. Now, you still got to be good. You still have to get to your place. You still got to, you know, have good communication with the guys that you're double teaming and when to come off and all of those things that we've talked about in the past when, you know, Kane Madden didn't do a great job of some of that stuff. And so it's both. It's it's from a communication standpoint, but it's also from a physical standpoint. Uh, but you have to be good at both. You have to have good communication with both in order to do the physical. Good questions. Let's get down to here. Here's one fullback dive. Is there something that Mickens does as a coach that makes him good at producing freshman All Americans specifically? He has two at two schools now. There's probably something to that trend. He has two at two schools, but he also had a freshman at Bowling Green that was an all conference kid as a true freshman, Nick Johnson. A kid at Bowling Green's not going to be a freshman All American, but I think he earned like second team All Mac honors as a true freshman. He also had Clarence Lewis as a true freshman starting for Notre Dame's 2020 team when Tariq Bracey kind of had his, his his little meltdown late in the year. It's because Coach Mickens understands that being a smart coach doesn't mean I have to overload you with a bunch of things to show how smart I am. He is someone who understands you got to get the basics right first. And so every year he's starting with the fun, 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 the fundamental aspects of it. He also communicates in a way that it, it's easy to understand. He doesn't overload a kid. He understands I'm going to – I'm going to focus on certain things with Cam Hart, and those aren't going to be the things I'm going to focus on with Benjamin Morrison. He understands that there are certain things that you teach that everybody's got to learn, but then it comes down to molding each individual player to their strengths. He understands that incredibly well, Vince, and, and he's willing to say, hey, look, yes, I'm a good coach, and yes, I know the game, and yes, I have to do this and this and this, but I've got this really talented player. i got to figure it out. i got to get this kid ready to play. And so uh, throwing a million things at this kid early on is not going to help him get ready to play. So let's get him, let's get him comfortable with these basics. And then once he gets out there, then we can go do some more things like Benjamin Morrison, Benjamin Morrison had a great game against Ohio state. He was just kind of okay. The rest of the way, Vince. I mean, he, he, he was okay against Syracuse. He, it, he just got better and better and better and better. Cause as, as coach Mickens, as he got the fundamentals down, then coach Mickens could start building more and more on top of him. And then he became the player that he is. So he is. So he he knows the game, and he understands that every player is going to learn differently. And he finds ways to to relate to each of those kids. I think those are the things to me, Vince, that stand out as as reasons why he's been able to get young players ready to go and converted player, you know, guys from other positions ready to go and things along those lines. Because it it has definitely been a pattern. It wasn't just Sauce and Benjamin Morrison. It was Nick right. Johnson. It was Clarence Lewis. It was a lot of different guys that he's had success with. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coach Bent 574 from 2010 to the present. If you could take one Notre Dame player's son or grandson that didn't choose Notre Dame and put them on the Notre Dame roster during the time they were in college, who would it be? That's an easy one. AJ Dillon. I'm still trying to understand that. <laughs> if you could take a former Notre Dame player's son or grandson that would have played from 2010 to the present, yes, okay, and gotcha. to me, it's AJ Dillon. Oh, that's a no brainer. Could you imagine AJ Dillon and Josh Adams? They dropped the ball, oh they my dropped gosh. the ball on that recruitment. Could you? Um, I, I think AJ was a freshman in 2017, I believe. 
But man, could you imagine AJ Dillon and Josh Adams as a one-two punch behind that 2017 offensive line? Oh man, that'd have been fun to watch. Because Josh wouldn't have worn down late in the year either, because he wouldn't right. have had to get so much to. of the workload early right. in the year. Exactly. Whew. Yeah, that's Ooh, an easy one. Fun. I can't even think of anybody else that is even close to that from a, a lineage standpoint. I'd have to really think about there it. Was I mean, a, there's, there's been some. Who's that, that tight end? Who's uh, that tight end that played? I think it was for Boston College. Wasn't he a, a Notre Dame guy? Do you remember who I'm talking about? I think no. he had an Irish name. Maybe not. I'm just trying to think of other guys who might have stood out. Remember when did Max Starks play? Oh no, he was he was a lot older. He was before 2010. But Max Starks was was uh, Ross Browner's kid, right? Wasn't he? Okay, I believe. Let me let me let me find that one real quick. But he was yeah, Ross Browner. Yeah, but um, yeah. So that that ooh, I'd have to think about that one. I'd have to think about that one because off the top of my head, I can't really think of a lot of different guys. Right. Uh, Tom Carter's son, Alex, I would have liked for him to play DB at Notre Dame instead of Stanford. He was a pretty good player. That that have been that have been a good one. That's the only other one that I can think of from 2010 on. But AJ Dillon is the easy one. Hands down. Yeah. Very easy one. Crying belly. CJ Carr and Dante Moore. Who has the highest floor? Who has the higher upside? Who are you more comfortable with starting as a true freshman? This is all evaluation after their junior years, of course. Higher floor is Dante. Uh, as after junior seasons, uh, higher ceiling is CJ. Definitely CJ, in my opinion, because he's the better athlete. He has the better arm, in my opinion. Uh, who is capable, comfortable starting as a freshman? That's I'd probably have to go with CJ, even though the higher floor, because Dante's body needed work after his junior year. Like Dante's game is outstanding, but Dante needed work on his body and still does. I mean, that that's the thing where I'd say probably probably CJ, because I think he's more physically ready to play. But Dante probably has, to me has the higher floor in, in, in my view, but not by much. It's really not that by that much. CJ has the higher ceiling after their junior. Look, CJ was a kid that as a sophomore, Dante was better as a sophomore than CJ was. I actually liked CJ's junior year jump a little bit more than Dante's, and he really closed the gap a ton. It's not that big of a difference as as it was when when they were sophomores for me. So that's my um, it's a good question, but that's my that's that my stance of that. Tavis McKay, newcomer. What newcomer to the Big 12 has the best chance to be a consistent threat to win the conference regularly, excluding any rumored new members, just the new ones for this year? Yeah. So you're talking Cincinnati, BYU, BYU Houston, and South Florida, South Central Florida. Central Florida. Of those four, I'd probably say BYU. If Luke Fickle was still at Cincinnati, I'd probably go with Cincinnati, but. I have zero faith in Scott Satterfield as a coach, like none. I, and I think BYU plays a different brand of football than the rest of the Big 12. And the other thing too, Vince, is of those four teams, none of them have as much experience playing Power 5 teams as BYU has. It's not going to be that big of adjustment. I mean, they, they're playing like five, six Power 5 teams a year Yeah, in, in recent years, yeah, Vince. that's true. And so like last year, they played Baylor, Oregon, Notre Dame, Arkansas, Stanford. They played five. The year before in 21, they played Arizona, Utah, Arizona State, Baylor, Washington State, Virginia, and USC. So they played 12 Power 5 teams the last two years. That's not a whole lot different than what the SEC teams play sure. because of the way well, yeah. they schedule their conferences and their out-of-conference schedules, right? Yep. Yep. So I'd say BYU. Yeah, I, I'd probably go with them. I, I was know. thinking Cincinnati, but you're right. With the coaching change, I just don't have a whole lot of faith down there either. Yeah. Uh, and I think BYU is built to win now yeah. as opposed to some of these other schools that are coming in that I think it might take a little bit of time in recruiting. Yeah. You know, hey, now we're moving up to a power. You know, it's going to take a little Let's bit say, of time to get the How would you level. rank them? How would you rank? I'd go BYU, yep. UCF, Cincinnati, Houston. Be how I rank them. That's how I'd rank those four. <sighs> In, Maybe in I flip UCF and Cincinnati just yeah. right now, like today. Yeah. Moving forward, I think you're right. 
I get where you know you're coming. I, mean? I just think if, I think if you looked at Cincinnati's roster and saw how much they've lost the last two years, okay, I think you'd kind of feel the same way that I do. Okay, that's that fair. Because I know you I haven't like looked through the I rosters have, and stuff. I have yeah, not I get that. No, because I understand where you're coming fair. from because you're thinking they return better players, and I sure. get that completely. I just think the coaching change plus they lost a lot of dudes, a yeah. lot of dudes. Uh, I I don't have a lot of faith in Cincinnati, and and they they were barely beating teams last year. They were a very unimpressive team to me sure. last year. They really were. I was I was not blown away with what I saw from Cincinnati last year. I and mean, they went nine and four, and they beat Kennesaw State, Miami of Ohio, Indiana, Tulsa, barely beat South Florida, barely beat SMU, barely beat Navy, barely beat East Carolina, lost to Tulane, lost to UCF, lost to Louisville. So I just I don't have a lot of faith in Cincinnati right now, and that was with a guy that I think is a better coach. I'm not I'm not on the Luke Fickle bandwagon like some other people are. No, I know you're not. He's a quality football coach. He's a quality football. He's definitely better than Scott Satterfield for me. That's that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely better coach than him. I think I know you've got a bunch to choose from over in the starred category, but I'm pretty sure there was a Luke Fickle question in there. um, If you can find it at some point, uh, yeah, there's a. There's a, there's a yeah, lot. Of, there's a lot. There's a lot to go through. That'll be an interesting I just, question. I just remember seeing it. Yeah. yeah, I'll look for that one. Zach Martin, if Notre Dame lands Lambert, I know you mentioned the staff likes Craig, but given the potential talent of Spindler, Jag, Carell, Fisher, Wag, Absher, etc., do you see a scenario where Billy moves to center? No, because I think of that group, Ashton Craig is the kid that they really like there. And mm-hmm. and so like given the potentials talent of those other guys, what I would argue is, is I don't think it's a given that those other guys that you mentioned necessarily have more talent than, than Ashton Craig, it, you know, Neil Wagner's a, a tackle, right? I mean, he's going to be a tackle. Uh, Zeke Carell is going to be a sixth year senior, a fifth year senior this year and a six year guy the next year. So you're not moving Billy spent Billy Shrouth to center right. when Zeke Carell is there. So, uh, you know, no, I, I don't see that. I, I really, I don't, I, first of all, I think, I think when you look at Billy Shrouth, you, you got Gary Lambert coming in. We talked about this yesterday. You go into the 25 season, right? So, cause you're probably not playing Gary as a freshman. You go into 2025 season. There's no Tosh Baker. Mm-hmm. Your, your tackles are going to be Jagasaw, Lambert, and Emil Wagner. Right. That that so I don't know that you're gonna be able to move Charles Jagas on side necessarily unless he's ready to start. And if he's ready to start, then you're just fired up about having two elite guards potentially down the road with with Billy Shrouth. So no, I don't see that being uh, happening. I think they really like the potential of Ashton Craig at center. I think the only way they would make that move, Vince, is if it got to a situation where the the right guard position was just a dude that yeah. couldn't play anywhere else. And your next two best guys were Ashton Craig and Billy Shrouth or Joe Wadding and Billy Shrouth, something along those lines. And the other guy just couldn't play center and Billy picked it up quickly. I mean, mm-hmm. there there could be that kind of scenario where something happens where that guy just can't snap the ball. Right. Which but is possible. I, yeah. But yeah. But I think they're pretty dead set on really developing Ashton Craig yeah. right now at the center position of the returners. Now we'll find out, you know, maybe Joe Wadding is so good at center that they feel comfortable moving Ashton Craig out to another position. Like let's say Joe Wadding comes in and he's like, dude, he's pretty good. You got Zeke Carell potentially for one more year, Joe Wadding and groom under him. And then you can kick Ashton Craig out, let him compete for a starting job. Now that could something like that could happen where you actually kick Ashton Craig out, but, we're not going to make that assumption because we've never seen right. Billy, uh, Joe Otting do anything in pads in their name. The option is still there, but I, I, is it possible, Zach? Sure. Is it something that I think is likely? No, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I because the other thing too is I don't know that either, I don't know if any of those guys other than Jagasaw are going to be better than him. And like Blake Fisher doesn't count into this conversation. He won't be around by the time we're having that conversation, most likely, or at least for a year. So I don't. I don't know that he'd really factor into the into the conversation for me. At this point in time, somebody brought this one up. Somebody said Irv Smith Jr. Oh, for as the, a potential yeah. player. This is an interesting one because I wouldn't necessarily go there. Because when you look at when Irv Smith was in college, Vince, he was in college and, and he really played in 17 and 18. I don't I don't know that he would have necessarily beat out the guys that were there. I think you know, you, you had Alze, you had Cole Komet, you had Brock That's White. You 
that's a good player. So I don't, I don't know. I, look, Irv Smith was a good player. I always thought he was just a little tad overrated. I thought he was a product of being at a, at a place where you weren't paying any attention to him in 2018 because you were too busy being worried about Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. So of course the tight end is going to get open. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he was a nice player. He was a good player, but I didn't think he was, um, uh, I, I don't, I don't think he was a guy that I was necessarily super, super fired up about. Yeah. All right. Here's, here's some more Vince. We have a lot of really good questions today. Oh, I'm sure here we got one from, um, Definitely this is an interesting this one. This is a very interesting one. Irish blooded. Who do you think is the better head coach, Brian Kelly or Jim Harbaugh? I mean, I, I I'd have we're to go, talking about. Jim I'd have Harbaugh. to go with Brian Kelly on this one. And, and now the counter argument, understandably so, is going to be Jim Harbaugh has a winning record against Brian Kelly. Very true. However, the first couple of years Jim Harbaugh and Brian Kelly faced each other, they it was actually really only one year because Harbaugh left after 2010. He had a much better team. Brian Kelly was taking over for a failed coach, and Jim Harbaugh was in like year four or five at sure. Stanford. So it was a yeah. different situation. That's a different situation. Yes, right. And, and you know, they kind of had some back and forth success, success against each other at Michigan. They were like one and one against each other. Notre, Kelly beat him in 18. Harbaugh beat him in 19. You know, so Harbaugh's had better individual success. I, I think the reason I would go with Kelly is, is, is probably the longevity aspect of it. You know, I think. I think Harbaugh's been probably the better, more consistent coach, to be honest with you. And the other thing about Harbaugh is Harbaugh's a niche coach. Like he he worked at Stanford and Michigan. I don't know that Harbaugh could go a lot of places and work because of his personality. To be completely honest with you, I I, I don't I don't like I don't know if his shtick would work like at uh, Clemson, you know, Alabama, you, you know, Texas would would, would BK. You know? At some of those places, yeah. I mean, look, yeah, he's, he's he's fit in better LSU than we thought he would. That, no, right? that's fair. After a I rough mean, start, and if he, start, and if he yes. can survive a year in L in yeah. Baton Rouge, yeah, you're right. And sure, he can he can he can. Especially when you look at like the city of Austin. Let's be honest about it. Uh, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just trying to speak facts. Uh, Austin is a very liberal town. I know Texas is like you know blue red state and all that, but Austin is a very liberal area. Brian Kelly is a liberal. Uh, I think he would he would he would fit in very well there with the donor class at Texas. They would have a lot in common. So yeah, I think he would fit in there uh, at, at that place. Tuscaloosa. Look again, if he can survive in Baton Rouge, he can survive in Tuscaloosa. Clemson, not so much. Now, I'm not saying he would necessarily win there, Vince. I'm saying he would fit there. You're saying survive as a human being. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, no, I get he, that. he wouldn't be like this really weird guy that people just don't want to be around like Jim Harbaugh can be. Yeah. So I think Jim Harbaugh is more of a niche guy, but look, I'll say this. If, if Kelly doesn't get LSU better than what they were last year, and they were good. Harbaugh's got Michigan rolling right now. He does. And you got to give him credit. So it may be close. I wouldn't argue with you. If you said Harbaugh, I would not bash you for that i wouldn't i thought he did a great job at stanford uh, after a couple down years in michigan he's got them back rolling again so if you wanted to say harbaugh i wouldn't argue with you vince I, but it, i just personally would, would go with kelly on that one it's like picking the lesser of two evils and i'm not even sure which is less evil to be honest uh but for me i'm gonna go track record now obviously brian kelly has national championships at a lower level so mm-hmm. i mean that has to be taken into account Jim Harbaugh did go to a Super Bowl. I think that has to be taken into account. Yeah, I mean it does. Yeah, I mean he's done the it. Reason at I would say that one, Vince, is because we're arguing where the other guy has never done that, and so it's kind of like, well, well you're Brian using... Kelly tried, but they didn't want him. Yeah, but but they would have wanted him if he was a former NFL quarterback. Fair. So Fair. so I, I get where you're coming from, yeah. but it's hard for me to say, like, we've seen Jim Harbaugh and Brian Kelly both coach at lower levels. Jim Harbaugh was in San Diego. Brian Kelly was at Grand Valley State, right? I mean, sure. so I, I'm, I'm with you on all the others. It's just the, the NFL one is, is if we're talking, like, Hall of Fame resume, sure. You can look at that. Struggling, who's the better college football coach? I don't know that the NFL one has as much credence for me. If that makes I was sense, just going right? head coach overall because it didn't I got say you. college. If you, okay, coach. if you're doing that, then that's very fair to have the NFL yeah. in there. Okay. Right. So that was, but again, you're right. It is very, it's very neck and neck. 
whoever wins the national championship is going to be that guy at this point. Because Harbaugh going to the playoff two years in a row got him back to yeah. – you know what I mean? Because that's what yeah. Kelly had in his back And now pocket. his head-to-head over Kelly becomes a little bit more prominent. Right. Yeah. And here's another thing. His second playoff appearance was a disappointing loss, but it was a lot more competitive than any sure. of the ones that Brian Kelly had. Sure. That's the other part of it, too. Right. And 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 I'll tell you this: the the two wins over Ohio State have changed the game a little bit with Harbaugh and the perception of Harbaugh. Absolutely, because he's got those two big wins that are better than anything Brian Kelly has on his. No doubt today. about it. And in he went opinion. into both of those games as an underdog, and and, and won both soundly, convincingly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> shockingly so, in my opinion, but yeah, still happened. So yeah, that that look, they're both good football coaches. They, they are. They you know. They they'll both be good hires, in my opinion. But yeah, we'll see. All right, let's get to some some really good um, some really good questions here, Vince. Let's go to Domer Grizz. All right, Domer Grizz. Happy Friday. What is the most important thing the number one coaching staff and number two players should be doing this offseason to ensure success this fall? Also, are they actually doing it? Yeah, I mean, they are. It's, it's look, it's get them in the best shape possible right now. You know, I mean, the summer is, I mean, we'll talk, they'll do drill work and they'll be throwing seven on sevens, but mm-hmm. it's really just training your body and your mind uh, for a, a grind of a season. That's, right. that's the most important thing and, during summer workouts. I mean, getting to getting like there's team camaraderie right. and there's, there's, there's definitely something to but be said for that yeah, at the college that level. That comes through the work. If you're right. putting the work in together, you're, Absolutely. you know, it's that blood, sweat, and tears being a unifying aspect. And that happens of, more in the right. summer and then in fall camp than it does during the if you didn't, year. Yeah, you're right. If you don't start that yeah. during the summer events, it's not happening in right. fall camp. I mean, fall camp yeah, is absolutely. like, okay, we've established our leadership. We've established yeah. our who we are as a team. Now it's rock and roll. Right. So I think it's a lot of that stuff. So, yeah, they're doing that. And that's that's as much Matt Bayless as it is anybody at that point, mm-hmm. the team leadership. Yeah. And, and sure. I think I think this team is going to have pretty good leadership. I do. Absolutely. And the coaching staff, I mean, it's about establishing your leadership and all of that as well, obviously. And then, you know, I mean, yes, you could dive into some X's and O's and things like that. I mean, look, you give any coach an offseason, they're going to come up with new wrinkles and X's and O's. I mean, any coach would come up with that. So yep. it's just about applying that to the players that you have and and, and all of that. So, and I'm sure they're doing all of that. Irish blooded better two year team roster, 88 to 89 Notre Dame or 92 to 93 Notre Dame. That's not even close. That's 88, 89 Notre Dame. I mean, that, that's not even close. Now, look, I know that the 1988 team had a – or 1992 and 93 teams had a lot of talent. They did. Jerome Bettis and Reggie Brooks. But so did the 88-89. I mean, they had Rocket. They had Ricky Waters. I mean, Notre Dame at one point in time, and I think 88 and 89, had like five NFL running backs on their roster, right? Wasn't it like it was like Ricky Waters? It was – They were like Dorsey Levins, Anthony Johnson, Rodney Culver. It might have been 19. It was just – it was nutty. And, uh, you know, they had plenty of Todd Light. Well, they had Bobby Carter. Well, they they had Todd Light. You know, oh, they had uh, Tom Carter or Bobby Taylor, Tom Carter. And, yeah, Jeff Burris. Okay, they had Todd Light and Pat Terrell. And, you know what I mean? Like, we could do the NFL thing all game. And the other thing about the 88-89 team, Vince, too, is uh, that team played such a tougher schedule. I mean, in in 1988, they had to beat four top ten teams. (laughs) In 1989, I think I counted the other day, they had seven wins over teams that finished the year ranked in the top 15. At the time they played, they beat number two Michigan. Number So in, in, in two-year stretch, this is who Notre Dame beat in, as far as the, when they played. Number nine Michigan, number one Miami, number two USC on the road, number three West Virginia bowl game. They beat number two, number two Michigan on the road, number 17 Air Force on the road, number nine USC, Number seven, Pitt, 45 to seven. Number 17, Penn State on the road. Lost a number seven, Miami on the road. That was the last game of the regular season. Came back, beat number one, Colorado, 21 to six in a bowl game. Like, that's a lot of wins. And then you look at the 92 team. They tied number six, Michigan. Lost to number 18, Stanford. Beat number nine, BC, 54 to seven. Beat number 22, Penn State. Beat number 19, Texas, USC. Beat number four, Texas A&M, right, in a bowl game. Very good wins. 
in 93, they beat number three Michigan on the road. And then they didn't play another ranked team until November when they beat Florida State. And then a week later, went out and lost at home to number 17 Boston College, beat number seven A&M in a bowl game. So number one, better records, 88-89, equal talent level, and just won way more big games. And with all due respect to the huge win over 93 Florida State, the 88 Miami team was better than 93 Florida State. They just were. And, yeah, so 88-89 for me, Vince, it's an easy one for me. And they were both great periods. But the final thing is, is you could – one has a national title, the other doesn't. Well, they should have, but they didn't. But they didn't. They lost to Boston. All you had to do was beat Boston College at home. That's it. Yeah. Right? And you didn't get it done. Yeah. Right. The other team did. So that's that to me is the that to me is the big difference. So here's a little bit of a fun one, Vince. What was your first car? Wow, that's a good one. I had a 19 I had a 1989 Chevy Beretta was the first car that I had. Uh that that was uh my parents gave to me. The first car that I I kind of owned like the first new car I had, my parents bought me a Mustang, a 2000 Ford Mustang uh, when I turned based when I was 21. And then I didn't buy another car, Vince, until March. A month ago or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. Because <laughs> we made that car last. I got yeah. rid of the Mustang about three years ago. I finally It finally died out. And then my wife bought a car in 05 that we were using. Then her grandfather passed away and left us his car and his will. So I haven't. I mean, that's the first car that I personally bought was in March. So, yeah, my very first car, 1989 Chevy Beretta, was was, was maroon. It's my first car that I had. My my first car was a 1989 mm-hmm. uh, Nissan Sentra. Okay. And I got my license in 1996. So that felt like a that might as well have been a brand new car off the lot to me. <laughs> okay, because that was uh, that was freaking awesome. And yep. uh, I called it Papa Smurf because I call it, it was old, it was blue, and it was small. So that yep. was my – and I went to school 25 miles away from my house. So I was, you know, doing the bypass thing every day. So I needed a car with good gas mileage, man. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, you could fill that sucker up with 10 bucks, 99 cents a gallon, yeah. 10 bucks got her filled up. So Chevy yeah. Beretta had a cool name. It was not a cool car. <laughs> <laughs> very boxy car. Uh, yeah, but that was my. Uh, That's great. That, and you can you can tell uh, people uh, um, their age because you obviously may say K is kind of our age. You know, hot ninety eight six <laughs> Honda CRX. Yeah, baby. And then you got you can tell Adam Blair's like twelve years old, two thousand sixteen <laughs> Mazda. <laughs> Man, or else his parents are really nice. Yeah, uh, that's well. I mean, my whole point is there's no way he could have got a 2016 well, if he was our age, unless he's been well, riding his bike yeah. into his 40s. Because you know that means he was born in like 2000, <laughs> right? Uh, if even if it was a right. brand new car, beef so, eater yeah. 1985 Brown Chrysler K car wagon. That's great. That's great. There we go. Um, yeah, here, here's one. Kyle waits at his first car was in 2017, and it was a 91 Dodge Spirit. Yes. That is an old car, buddy. Now you're talking. Yes. I like that's that. Awesome. I like that's, that. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah, Beef Eater said the K car stalled. He said this the K car stalled if you took a turn too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But aren't those old cars though, like the ones with like the personality to them? It's yeah. like you know if you yeah. do this, like this is gonna happen. Like yeah. two, <laughs> I love two alphas because number one, he's got looks like a, a, a shooting target in, oh, in yeah. his, his avatar, which I'm a big fan of. But 1989 Pontiac two door uh, uh, Grand Prix. That's a good there one. There you go. I still do. They still have cars like this. Do you remember the old station wagons when you in the back row? You were looking out the back of the car. <laughs> did, oh, did you ever drive around in those? Well, I was in the back. Like we had a station wagon growing up. Like my that's parents, how we went on trips. My parents didn't have a, a station wagon. Uh, they had so the, my dad had a um, a blue Concord, and I, and I don't and I don't and I still remember that car because I had a horrible nightmare as a kid of watching my dad die in that car. And I still, as a 45-year-old, will have that dream occasionally. And I've, I've shared that with him. So I'll never forget that car. He had a green Volkswagen uh, the bu- or a blue Volkswagen Bug Beetle. Okay. Right? Yep. And then after that, they bought this giant red Paul Sherry Chevrolet van, right? 
Never had oh, a station like wagon. Like conversion style. Yeah. Like, and yeah, they actually had a yeah. TV in it. I thought I was yeah. big time. Oh, yeah. You could screen like five channels, you know, black yeah. and white. And it was like the air channels. Like, yeah. you had to have like gravity or something yeah. there. Oh, yeah. But uh, uh, I remember when we would come up to go down to Virginia to visit my family, one of my relatives had a station wagon. Mm-hmm. And we'd sit in the back. And that was the weirdest thing ever, man. Because you're just like, okay, I don't want to make eye contact with this person, but I don't know what like to look right at. <laughs> You're like stopped at a red light. You're just like staring at the person. Like, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do right I now. Love messing with people. I love messing with people. I'll be like, eh. yeah. you know, oh yeah. yeah. We used to travel. Yeah, that, why does that not shock me? Why yeah. does that not shock me Fine. at all? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> not even a little. That's great. Not even a little. That, those were the family road trips, man. Like yeah. that was before we, because we did end up going to the minivan. You know, we had the Chevy Lumina. Yeah. Minivans. My mom got a few of those in a row, but like early on, it was the station wagon. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is my favorite one here, right here, Vince, from Greg Lisman. He said, my first car was a red 1991 Mercury uh, Tracer that my dad bought at a garage sale. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is awesome, Greg. You win. I you wish. You absolutely win, buddy. You win. I the wish that people is the best, sold cars at a garage best sale. first that's car story I can be all. driving yes. right now. Yes. <laughs> That is awesome. Dad got you your first car to garage sale. There you that go. Awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. That is great. It could have been worse. Your first car could have been a transformer. I mean, I've seen that happen to a guy. This oh, guy yeah. Sam that I knew back in the day. You know. <laughs> hey. You know. Oh my goodness gracious! Good question. Those are fun. I always love those on mailbag days. Yeah, me too. Those are always good. <laughs> How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.